Hello and you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. Special Episodes Unsanitised Part 1 Blended Learning and Back to School Hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis. And this is the first of a few short special episodes about planning for the return to school, uh, which I've decided to call Unsanitised, and will be the first of many bad puns in this series. However, rather than my usual content where I'll be telling you what I would do if I were the Minister for Education, I'm going to take one aspect of the reopening plan or the roadmap for reopening and try to explore some of the questions that educators are going to have to explore over the coming weeks ahead. So for those of you who like hearing me complain about the Department of Education, um, well, I suppose, don't worry, I'll definitely make sure to uh, mention that they've effectively washed their hands of us now and they're happily physically distancing themselves from taking any responsibility for the plan. So with that in mind, I hope I'll be able to unmask some of the mysteries about going back to school and by the end of it all, we might lock down some ideas. Oh dear. Anyway, we'll do this all with not a bit of PPP needed. There's always people within your school community that you know are fantastic sources for information and they're really supportive of what you do and I know most schools have lots of people like that and in my school it's no different. I have loads of parents and loads of people outside of my parent group that provide me with information that might be useful or might help me out in my job as a principal. So, for example, I have a former parent who was the head of a contract cleaning business and she helped me in terms of planning what needed to be done in terms of cleaning in our school a few years ago. Now, what I wouldn't do to have her back in uh, in my life right now, but unfortunately, primary school is only eight years old. It can be such a short time when you need the help. But... Anyhow, I have a grandparent, uh, and I'm not going to name him because I haven't um, got permission to do so, but he's helped me out a lot in the school over the last couple of years. And he sends me emails every so often because he's a former principal himself, not in Ireland, which makes things even more interesting for me, because you get a little bit of an international flavour of what's happening and what other countries do. And Often I'm on this, uh, in my job and on this podcast, kind of complaining about how difficult it is for school leaders in this country. And uh, sometimes when he tells me things, sometimes I feel very jealous. And then sometimes I I suppose I feel a little bit relieved uh, that things aren't so bad. Anyhow, um, he, he's especially over the last couple of months, he's been sort of we've been to and fro with each other, chatting about what's going on in his country and what's going on in our country, because he's very interested in the Irish education system uh, and what we do well and what we don't do well. I, I guess he has a grandchild in our system uh, and we've got great. Uh, we generally have great conversations whenever we meet or chat. Um, but one of the things that he shared with me lately was how the education system is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic in his country. And in some ways uh, we might be pleased to know that they're in at least an equally terrible situation as us. <laughs> However he did share with me another article uh, which is going to be the topic of this uh, part of this episode of this podcast. As I said this is going to be one of a few shorter episodes uh, taking one aspect um, and as I said 
uh, he, uh, as well as being uh, familiar with his own education system in his own country and now the Irish education system given his grandson, he has also got a network of other educators across Europe who talk to him. And one of his colleagues uh, shared with him what's happening in, of all places, uh, I bet you couldn't guess if I told you the place uh, that have got it right and seem to have got it right and so right. Well, the answer is the Republic of Moldova. And I thought it was really, really interesting to see what they have planned. Because their government don't just have a plan, don't have one plan for opening their schools and reopening their schools. They have seven models of education plans depending on how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the country. And they range from 100% attendance by pupils in the school, which is basically our only plan in this country, all the way to what happens if nobody can come to school at all and how that's going to look like. And it's really interesting to see the various options and what they do look like. And even think about a little bit now about some of those for the purpose of this uh, for the purpose of this episode. Now, I noticed that within seven models, um, most of them are for when children can't come to school all the time. They can be there for some of the time, but they can't be there for all of the time. So they had models such as a day on, a day off approach, a week on, a week off approach. You've got models where the children come in for half of a day and then the day is split into two shifts. So there'd be a morning shift and an afternoon shift. And all of that's really kind of interesting to look at. But the one thing that was in common with all these alternative models was the idea of a digital aspect of learning that would happen. And they basically planned for the fact that a blended learning system would be in place if it was necessary. So in this shorter episode, I'm going to have a look at what blended learning actually means, because I think it's a word that's been misused uh, throughout this whole pandemic so far, uh, whether that's through the media or even by professionals like ourselves. And then I'm also going to look at what would actually be a blended learning situation and what it would look like in Ireland. And uh, based on how things are looking, I suppose, at the start of August while I'm uh, recording this, I'm recording this basically on the, I think it's the 3rd of August uh, today. I haven't checked the calendar. I think it's the 3rd of August. Um, I can't see us basically staying in school fully with 100% of the children in our classrooms where I'm standing right now. If you're looking for a summary of the plans for reopening schools, um, this won't be covered in this particular uh, set of uh, podcast episodes. But if you check back to my previous uh, episode on on Shaw's podcasts, um, you will find a I basically summarised the entire roadmap and the entire plan in less than an hour. And uh, since doing it, I've just basically spent some time trying to get started with my own planning. Uh, So it might be worth your while if you're interested in hearing the summary of the plan for Ireland. That's where you'll find it on on Shaw's podcast. You can Google that uh, in any uh, podcasting software that you might use. Uh, Anyway, the guidelines talk... um, about situations where particular students won't be able to come to school, uh, to be fair. And um, it's not like the government have basically said we're all coming in and that's it. They have actually put in a couple of paragraphs into uh, two sections of the roadmap for reopening schools, one in the curriculum section and one in the roadmap. And um, but there isn't really anything in the guidelines if there is a full shutdown of schools. Now, I think it would be a major fluke if schools don't close again. So I believe we really do have to plan for this. Um, 
the government are reaping what they've sown in primary schools. I've said this, uh, I suppose, uh, on a number of occasions. Um, we have the largest class sizes in Europe. We've had severe underfunding to all aspects of non-teaching related areas, such as cleaning, admin support, secretarial support, some bizarrely complex transport system that we have. Too many schools because of the, inclu- of the I suppose, because of this illusion of school choice, a policy of cutting back supports to children with additional needs, a policy of splitting people between several different contexts so no school can cover every year group. And like I could go on, these are all the things that have been were in place in normal times. And now that we're in pandemic times, all these things are coming back to us. And politicians like Leo Radcar kind of they were wondering a while ago why Irish schools were unable to open. Well, he, you know, uh, like everywhere else, like hairdressers and so on. Everyone seems to compare us to hairdressers, which is I don't know. I mean, I, I I, I, only for the cuts I don't know anything else as a comparison anyway he was uh, wondering why we couldn't open um, like every other like every other school's uh, country in, the, in Europe while well, he was happily throwing 25 grand a day into renting a convention centre while people like me looked at that 25,000 euro thinking what that small in inverted commas amount of money could do for children in my school um, to be honest with you 25,000 euro um, that's one day of renting this convention this convention centre could basically get one child's needs completely looked after. But no, it's more important for the TDs to sit far away from each other so they can so we can pack children back into schools with no distancing necessary. So yeah, ultimately, it won't be any surprise to me if schools basically have to close down again. As I said, you reap what you sow. And if we have the biggest class sizes in Europe, small classroom sizes, uh, as in the small spaces, you know, you're, you're, you're basically creating a Petri dish situation. But I suppose knowing this, you know, rather than just giving out about it, I suppose, and I, and I certainly will give out about it, knowing it is probably useful if you're a teacher or a school leader. Um, and just focusing on teachers for a moment, because your principal is going to be really busy um, over the next few weeks with logistics of getting teachers and children and staff and everyone else into the building and out of the building as safely as possible for whatever length of time. So I reckon a teacher's best bet is to plan for blended learning as soon as you get back. And that's, for me, I think that's really, really important because I don't know if you're going to last in a classroom full time for very long. So if you can plan for blended learning, I think it's a very good idea. Now, I get that teachers will also need to think about what learning is going to look like once you get back into the classroom initially. And you're probably going to have different layouts for your classroom. You're probably going to have um, very different and maybe more old fashioned methodologies. Uh, You won't be able to teach certain subjects in certain ways because of COVID-19 getting in the way of things uh, that you would normally have done. So like group activities will be quite limited. Uh, And personally, I think school I mean, as a teacher, is going to look very much like school did look like when I was in school many, many years ago. And not basically not a lot of group work, a lot of individuals sitting down in your seats, not a lot of moving around kind of work. Um, But I don't even think, um, you know, with all that in place, I mean, I think there's lots of other things that will happen. And I mean, I'll go through that in a while because I do want to do a short episode on what will your classroom look like uh, when you go back to school. Even with it all aside, I don't see us all being in school full time for very long. I see most teachers being in school full time but I don't see the children being in school full time because I reckon there hasn't been enough done in terms of the pandemic to ensure that children can stay in school the whole time. Um, 
And I don't think there's adequate staffing to ensure it can happen. Primary school's got 200 extra teachers into the system for substitution. Now, if you do a very, very short calculation, 60% of schools have a teaching principal. That means, uh, and that's 1,920 schools, roughly. Now, if every teaching principal needs uh, one substitute for one day a week, if you divide that by five, that means you'll need a substitute for all that. So we already need about 400 or so substitutes just to cover uh, teaching principals uh, one day a week release time which has been offered to them so ultimately already have a shortfall anyway I don't think it'll be any harm for teachers even with all this aside to kind of prepare for a blended learning situation because even if we don't use it as much as we might have have to um, during the pandemic maybe maybe we won't have to maybe we won't close down but even if we don't have to use it during the pan- pandemic there's actually some great ways of using this methodology to help us with learning and I mean I really do hope I'm wrong here and, uh, you know, that we won't be closed down. Like, I, I've, the last five months, I've hated it. I really have. Um, it's been so difficult uh, in so many ways. Um, but blended learning is very useful. Um, so I don't think it would be a waste of my time, even for a teacher to prepare for it, even if they don't need to use it. So I'm going to try to explain what blended learning actually is. And I'm going to give a very short introduction what this might look like, and especially the digital aspect of it and how that might look for you as a primary school teacher, if and when children will be at home doing their learning from home. And so I really, really hope I'm wrong. And I I actually, I suppose I may as well say this now, (laughs) I genuinely hope the stakeholders or the partners or whatever these big boys are calling themselves these days will come back to me in the future and say ha I told you so look at you with your blended learning ideas and and saying that we didn't have a proper plan look at you looking like an idiot a fool now do you know what I really really do hope I look like an idiot for doing this episode because I said I don't want this uh, to be the situation I want to be back at school and I want things to be as normal as they possibly can I don't want us to be in a situation where people are getting sick and we have to close schools down and we have to go back to full distance learning so look what I want to do in this episode is not to give out What I want to do is I want to be helpful and I want to just let you know what I think might be a good idea for teachers to do when we get back to school and to prepare children for a blended learning experience. And basically, I really just hope it helps you as a teacher or as a school leader for planning and for September, because it does look like it's quite likely at this point that blended learning will come back on the agenda. My guess is around the end of October. If we get to midterm break, I'll be be really, really happy. Um, And if we get beyond that, I'll be ecstatic. Um, because I do think schools are going to start getting outbreaks of COVID-19, um, given given what's happening in the news and given everything else. So look, let's get going and think about what blended learning is and uh, what it actually isn't. So let's address the term blended learning. Now, I know it's kind of stra- a strange thing I swear, <laughs> to get wound up about it, but I, I have to say this. We were not doing blended learning during the lockdown. We were not doing blended learning during the lockdown. And it really, really annoys me that this term, blended learning, uh, seemed to be out there. And it was rousing the various journalists uh, who were giving out about blended learning. Uh, We had the general public saying, oh, blended learning is very difficult. And then we had even had some CDs like the Thomas Burns of the world who kept going on about how blended learning was having a detrimental effect on children. Now, 
maybe me Mich- that's my theory now uh and maybe i'm wrong here maybe Michal martin was the same as me and he's got he got really vexed he got so vexed by thomas byrne calling it blended learning when it isn't and knowing it isn't called blended learning that he said you know what you don't deserve the minister for education job if you don't even know what blended learning is yeah probably not true but I'd love to think that was the reason why he didn't get the job. Uh, anyway, blended learning, Thomas, is when you have some of your learning face-to-face and some of your learning using digital technology. There you go. During lockdown, we had remote learning, home learning, distance learning, whatever you wanted to call it, but it was not blended learning. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Um Anyway, I believe after a few weeks of schools, blended learning will become part of our jobs. And uh, this is uh, because basically I think some children are going to have to self-isolate as they and members of their households find themselves with symptoms of COVID-19 and can't come to school. And they're going to be entitled to an education and schools may have to provide it. And in fact, the guidelines actually say it twice in two of their documents. And the problem is that that means that schools are going to have to find a way to teach children who are not coming to school because of COVID-19. And unfortunately, it's described in the guidelines in the context of maybe a couple of children having to be at home self-isolating, or maybe a pod, or maybe one bubble have to stay at home. The trouble for me is I don't think it's going to be one or two kids, or even just one bubble. I can foresee a situation where a large percentage of children, or even all the children in the school, will have to be at home. In fact, if we do have a second wave, which is seems to be quite likely, I think it will be caused by the fact that we have small classrooms and big class sizes, as I said. And if we have to close schools again, we're going to have to do something um, to, to, to stop that, because having small classrooms and big class sizes means we're going to keep getting outbreaks all the time because it's a petri dish situation so we probably are going to find ourselves in really difficult situations where for on a full-time basis while we don't have this vaccine children are going to be spending part-time are going to be part-time in the school building it's the only it's probably the only way it's going to work and as and, and look i hope i'm wrong as i said but it probably is likely that some children be in school for some of the time and other children be out of the school for some other time during the learning and then we'll have situations where real blended learning will have to take place. Now I'll spend more of a focus on each aspect of blended learning uh, that is the the face-to-face bit and the digital bit in separate kind of uh, sub episodes of this because they need to, uh, these ones need to be as I said I want, I want to be done and dusted with these uh, quickly enough like I'm already coming up to 20 minutes here um, and uh, I just need to you know want to get them under that uh, if that makes sense so you can take this episode as a little bit of an introduction to what blended learning might look like in general if you haven't listened to this podcast before I just want to give you a bit of a background on my teaching um, for the last um, for just because it might help you uh, understand where I'm coming from I've been teaching for about 20 years my background uh, before I was in teaching was in technology um, I was a computer scientist before I became a teacher and I've spent the last 20 years as I said focusing on how digital technology can enhance learning in lots and lots of different ways I actually even went as far um, as to earn my masters in trying to find out whether technology was actually a better teacher than a teacher and uh, teachers will be glad to know that the result was inconclusive I'm only joking, it's not. Uh, we're actually better than technology. So I suppose over the last few months during the pandemic, I would have spent quite a lot of time speaking to teachers and school leaders about distance learning and technology. Um, so over to school uh, building closures, I um, 
um, over the school building closures there, I, I ran several webinars, so over 1,000 school leaders, um, over a third of all school principals. And it was really, really interesting to see how over the last few months, schools went from kind of being an offline entity to an online entity. And I suppose the challenge of that, um, but also for me, how well we actually all adapted this generally. I think we need to celebrate that a lot. We really did well to move from being offline to an online entity in, in almost all cases. I Just as well as that, for a bit of background, I also spent six years actually working for a teacher training college in Ireland. That's Hibernia College, which basically teaches people how to become teachers through blended learning. I was the head of PED2, which means nothing to anyone who didn't do Hibernia, but basically I was in charge of English, Maths, Guelga and ICT while I was there. So I have a decent understanding of what blended learning actually is. I don't think anyone would be surprised to note that the government haven't really considered blended learning properly. There's major challenges for the distance part of blended learning which haven't been adequately addressed and they, I guess they go beyond an education uh, stratosphere. So it's, for example, uh, broadband provision, access to devices, families not being in positions uh, to access distance learning for a whole host of reasons and so on. Just going like in terms of access to devices, for example, the government provided uh, schools with some money to provide devices to families who didn't have them. In my school of uh, 380 children, I was given a grant that would cover seven devices, uh, just so you know. Um, I'll try and explore these challenges um, anyway, and I'll try to give some ideas of the things that I did while our building was closed to try and close those gaps. Um, look, it wasn't easy, and I wouldn't say it was 100% successful either, but uh, we'll look at this too uh, when we're talking about distance learning. However, for the purpose of this episode, if you did Hibernia College teacher training, blended learning looks a lot like what you did when you were training to become a teacher. The digital aspect of your training was where you did all the self-directed stuff and the face-to-face parts on those Saturday mornings was where you discussed what you'd learned online. Now, I'll be honest, while I was there, many of the students that struggled in the college were those that didn't really get that idea that idea of a blended learning. Some thought that the face-to-face part would actually just be a a repeat or a a replication of the digital aspect of the course. It was assumed, some people assumed that they didn't have to do the online stuff. And when I got into me, that they'd get basically what was taught on the on the on the course that wasn't you know that's the thing when you do blended learning you do your learning online but you also do different learning offline that's important to know so basically what we're looking for with blended learning is that the online components are not just a digital version of what you're doing in the classroom it's kind of almost like a marriage between the two aspects um, and that's how the learning gets done So what I'm proposing to you to do as a teacher is to swat up a bit on blended learning and what it looks like Now, this will be much harder the younger the children are, and I'd highly recommend that you invest yourself in a communication app or a website uh, to blend the face-to-face and digital aspects of school. Because one of the things about um, the blended learning is you'll need some sort of way to bring the two together. And I think a communication app of some sort is is ideal for that. So for younger pupils, you might be dealing mainly with parents and guardians and carers. And and there are a number of ways to do this. Uh, For older pupils, um, a possibly well-trained third class upwards, it's definitely going to be possible to communicate directly with those children using similar apps and websites. But for me, the key to blended uh, learning is to have a glue to stick them together with, uh, stick both of those aspects together. And that ultimately comes down, as I said, to communication. At the moment, my favourite apps and websites right now for this would be G Suite for Education, and that particularly Google Classroom, and Seesaw. 
And I'll talk to you a little briefly about why I like both of those uh, apps. Now, for schools that don't use uh, G Suite uh, or Google products, they may use Microsoft products. There is a Microsoft version of that, and I'm sure it's absolutely fine. Uh, I haven't used it. I don't have experience of it, but I do believe um, it is. It is absolutely fine. So when I say G Suite or Google Classroom and you're using Microsoft products, feel free to replace my Googles with your Microsofts. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, very, very briefly about Seesaw and why I, why I fell in love with it. Uh, I didn't like Seesaw initially when it came out many years ago. I found it, um, I didn't find it very good. However, in the last few years, it's really upped its game. Uh, basically what it is, it's a, at its, at its uh, centre, it is a communication tool um, f- uh, for distance learning in a way, or not particularly for distance learning, but for online learning, where uh, teachers can provide an online classroom for their uh, class and uh, for, and they can assign work and the work can be handed in in, 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 a, in lots of different ways. Uh, children, uh, the teacher can o- upload worksheets, which can be done by children on the worksheet as if they were using a a virtual pen Um, but they can also respond to questions via voice via video via typing and uh, teachers can give feedback via voice and via typing via annotation and all that sort of stuff it's really really powerful Um, I was I have to say I, I tried it out during the pandemic for the first time with one class and I must say it it really, really kicked the asses of, of any of its competitors, in my opinion. And the only trouble with Seesaw, while it was free during this time of the pandemic, by G- the end of June, they'd gone back to their uh, pricing. And that is r- roughly works out about five euro per pupil per year. I still think it's worth the investment. And the thing about it is what what I saw was children were able to respond to their teacher and communicate with their teacher really, really well through it. Um, And they were also able to do their distance learning part of it. Um, And I found it was uh, absolutely useful um, very easy to use for particularly for younger children I know some schools use it uh, all the way for up to sixth class which is grand uh, but uh, some schools use it for the junior end of their schools and some schools use it for uh, for infants it works particularly well with tablets and Chromebooks um, and uh, it, it actually ties in very nicely if you also use Google Classroom which is what I'm going to talk about now as well the thing I like about Google Classroom is that if you're using Google's products like G Suite, uh, so Docs and Slides and all the rest of them, um, it integrates beautifully. Uh, Google Classroom works with those and it's very easy to use. It's, you know, like for example, YouTube just seamlessly works in. Google Forms seamlessly works in Google Classroom. And the other advantage really, I suppose maybe the biggest advantage is it's completely free. Now, I start Google Classroom in first class um, and, uh, the, and and the reason for that is because uh, Seesaw didn't exist really, I suppose, when he started it. If I was starting all over again, I might start Seesaw. Uh, I might finish Seesaw in second class and start Classroom in third class. But uh, the children in my school very happily used uh, Google Classroom in first class um, and it's getting better all the time. Again, all it is is it's private. It's sort of like a private Facebook uh, interface much like Seesaw is uh, for a teacher and her class um, and ultimately the teacher can send messages, can assign tasks and the children can uh, reply to those messages, they can uh, talk to the teacher, they can perform tasks as well and uh, all of it is saved in their um, in their portfolio. Uh, so that's basically it. Seesaw and Google Classroom are very very similar. Seesaw is a little prettier shall we say it looks nicer, it has a little bit more functionality as well however it does lack um, a few things that Google Classroom has. Google Classroom integrates with far more um, 
other third-party apps and uh, you, you'll find those too. I mean, uh, there's uh, many, uh, um, what, what the one I'm thinking of, Flipgrid, which is um, a really, really cool app, is um, really, really nice uh, with Google Classroom. So look, I, I like Google Classroom and I probably would, I, I, I think first class is probably the earliest you probably uh, bring it into a school because it is it isn't it isn't exactly pretty um and it's not um it's it's not as easy to use let's say as seesaw but once a kid hits first class it's not too bad but ultimately what both these apps do uh, at the bare minimum um even without all the other stuff is they allow teachers to communicate with the child and his or her family about the work that needs to be done at home for school and what sets them apart from me from other apps that only allow for communication so for example email or a website or maybe these management information systems is that you can also set tasks and work to do at home on both of these apps so i'll give you um what i'll do is i'll give a special shout out as well because i i, I know their absence is uh is is, is uh, while i'm talking is on my mind class dojo uh, is another uh, app that i didn't mention there it's also recent uh it's also recently started giving the ability to send work home it didn't during the pandemic so maybe it's a bit late to the party but if those of you who like class dojo i think that's an addition that will work very well for you so really i'm going to leave it at that because we're coming up to the half hour mark we're about 28 minutes um and um what i'm going to do is i'm going to go through um your what your classroom might look like next so not the face the, the basically the face-to-face part of your day what will that look like and then in the in episode after that i might focus a bit more on the digital aspect and ever and at each episode i'll pick a different thing whatever that might be uh, the order of how i do things might change depending on what information comes from the government uh, but really um what i will say is um i will uh, i want to provide these shorter uh, episodes maybe to give you a flavor of what you need to consider for your classroom coming back um so that's it i um i think uh, i will leave it at that um we'll um if you have enjoyed this episode you can you should subscribe to it uh, if you can we've uh, quite a lot a lot of people subscribing to the uh, onshot podcasts uh, these days we're um, starting to chart in the various um, apple podcast charts and that which is which is very nice and, and lovely uh, you can find us uh, by searching for if i were the minister for education or on shaw's podcast or on shaw.net on any of the podcasting pr- uh, platforms that you use um, i'd appreciate any reviews you might give to me uh, because uh, that helps other people find them um i'm going to release these um i usually release my release my podcasts on wednesday mornings but because of the pandemic i'm going to release them a little bit more regularly now uh, particularly as people want to get their uh, selves ready for the new year um i think um that's all we'll do from now um i i hope this as i said it helped you and um until the next one of these podcasts we will see you and thank you for listening thank you Bye-bye.